last week, uh, I explained the vision that we feel God has for us as a church. And um, can I just ask, if you weren't here last Sunday, if you missed that, could you please try and watch the video or listen to the podcast? You can link to both of them on the website. Um, because it just sets such an important context for everything we're talking about, for who we are as a church, for where we're going. So please make, you know, try and, try and listen to that if you missed it. Also, I'd refer back to last Tuesday evening. What a powerful evening we had. And again, the message that Simon Holly brought is on the website as well. And I'd encourage you to listen to it if you weren't here. It was, it was really encouraging. It was really challenging. Um, and let's, let's prioritize these evening meetings. They're great times together. But the vision that I explained last week uh, was that we feel that God is leading us in the future to be a diverse church of thousands that surrounds and saturates High Wycombe with the love of Jesus. And actually all of that is outlined in this vision booklet, which again, if you haven't got hold of a copy of this yet, do get hold of one today. There are lots of copies at the back. Uh, Please don't leave without one of these. And the challenge that we gave last week, the encouragement I gave was to go away and read through this and pray. Start praying into this. There's a card in here, a tear-out card, which will help you with, with knowing what to pray for. But, but to pray for God to fill you with a, a real passion for this, a, to, to fill your heart with fire for this vision, for this church, for this town. And crucially, to ask him, what is my part in this? What, how, how do I personally take responsibility for pursuing this vision that God has given us? And today we're focusing in on that first part of the vision, which is a diverse church, hence starting with that invited story. And you might think, well, we already are a diverse church, so why is this part of the vision? And it's true. We are, in many ways, a very diverse church. We're certainly diverse ethnically. Um, we, We have many, many different nations represented across the three meetings of this church. A few years ago, we did a bit of a count, and we we counted around 50 different nations. We're ethnically very diverse, praise God, but we're also uh, multi-generational. So there's young, there's old, there's there's everything in between, different backgrounds, rich and poor, uh, male and female, single and married. We are a diverse church in a diverse town. Now that hasn't always been the case. We haven't always been particularly diverse, but God has so blessed us in the last few years to mean that we are visibly a diverse church, an international church. So just put up your hand if you're here today and you're from a nation other than one of the British nations. Yeah. And it's been the same in all three of our meetings. Even up in Hazelmere, where you might think there's not so much diversity. Wow, there were so many hands that went up there. It's absolutely amazing. It hasn't always been like that. You know, when we first moved into this building here, it really wasn't like that. But diversity is part of the vision Because it reflects the heart of God, as we'll see. But also, because actually, just having lots of different people from different backgrounds in one place isn't really the point. The vision isn't achieving diversity, it's unity in that diversity is the key thing. And what that shows people about the gospel, what what being a truly diverse church shows people outside the church about Jesus. So listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. He says, You have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, 
barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. And therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Again, in that passage, you notice it's not just ethnic diversity that he's talking about. Diversity is much wider than that. But the key point is unity. Unity in that diversity. That it's not so much about whether you're from this nation or that nation, from this culture or that culture, this background or that background. Actually, the more important distinction to draw is whether or not you are in Christ. See, I have more in common with a Christian who is from a village in Nigeria, for example, than I do with um, my neighbour who is white, British, has three children, same age as mine, who is not a Christian. We're united in Christ. We are together in Christ. It's that which is what binds us. That's what binds us together in unity. That's why I led with Kanchana's story. Because did you hear what she said towards the end of that story? This is, this is someone who is very aware of difference. Being in a different country, struggling with the language, being very fearful of making mistakes. You know, so she experienced difference as a bad thing, as a negative thing. But she said, in the church, it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like a different country. It feels like home. And she said, you see all these people from different places and different backgrounds sharing life together like a big family. And then she said, everybody's the same here. God doesn't distinguish between people and cultures. And that's not because different cultures are not important. But it's because in Christ, God unites us in all of our differences. And you know what? In a fractured society, and and I think our society is beyond fractured Unity and diversity is such a powerful, radical expression of the gospel. And that's why it's part of the vision. Because it's something we need to pursue. We need to be intentional about pursuing unity in our diversity, which is not without its challenges. But it was always God's plan for the whole earth to be filled with people reflecting the glory of God in their diversity. So we're going to take a brief whistle-stop tour through the Bible in order to show that, to demonstrate uh, God's heart for diversity from the very beginning and all through history. And so if you go right back to the very beginning, we see a massively important element of human diversity built into creation as God creates them male and female. He creates them equal, but different, very clearly different, patently, obviously different. And of course the claim that is being pretty aggressively pushed in our day is that there is no difference. There's no difference between men and women. In fact, some would say you shouldn't talk about men and women because there are something like a hundred different gender identities. No difference between men and women. The assumption being or the implication being there that difference is bad. But it's not. Not in God's purposes, not in God's design. Men and women are created equal but different. They're created to complement one another, to be stronger and more complete together than we can ever be individually because of what each one uniquely brings and the different qualities that we have. And so it's an early example of human diversity and of God's plan for unity in diversity without losing what is different, celebrating difference while experiencing the strength of unity. So let's celebrate the fact 
that men and women are different and all of that brings. And let's also celebrate and enjoy the fact that now in the church, women as well as men are getting opportunities to grow in leadership, to grow in their gifts, because actually we need both. We need both spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers in the church. We need strong female leaders as well as strong male leaders. And we're so blessed with both. But if we're going to grow to be a church of thousands, then we'll need to raise and train a lot more leaders. Fast forward to Genesis 10 and 11. The Table of Nations, the Tower of Babel. So if you're familiar with the story of the Tower of Babel, you have this people, they all speak the same language. And they decide to to stay in one place, to gather against God's explicit command to spread out and fill the earth. They gather together, they build a city, and they build this tower this monument to their own name to their own greatness and so God confuses their language and he scatters them and in these couple of chapters Genesis 10 and 11 we see that actually nations people groups diversity it was always part of God's plan it's his design for the earth to be filled with people reflecting the glory of God and part of that is in their diversity because God himself is diverse He's a Trinitarian God. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three and yet one. So diversity is not just some evolutionary accident. It's a gift. It's the gift of God. And it was always God's purpose. You know, diversity has only been made into a problem by sinful human beings. And the prejudices that we hold in our hearts. The scattering that happened at Babel, that wasn't the punishment. It was the plan. It was always God's plan for people to spread and fill the earth. The judgment, the punishment, is that that was done in confusion and division rather than out of a joyful obedience to God. Into Genesis 12, where the story of God's people really begins with Abraham. And right there at the start of that story, God makes a foundational promise to Abraham, And the rest of the Bible is really the outworking of that promise that God makes. And the culmination of that promise is that God says to Abraham that all nations, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through Abraham. All nations, all families, all clans, all tribes, all people groups, everyone, everyone is invited into God's people, into the kingdom of God. The promise is there right at the very beginning. It was always God's plan that his blessing, his salvation would go to the whole world, to all nations, in all of their diversity through Israel. And the same promise is repeated again and again throughout the book of Genesis. Then as time goes on and we get further into the Old Testament, well, we start to see people being invited in to God's people. So, for example, in Numbers chapter 10, Moses is talking to his father-in-law, who's not a Jew. And Moses says to him, if you come with us, you, we will share with you whatever good things the Lord gives us. He's not a Jew. He's not descended from Abraham, but he's invited in to God's people. Then later on, as Israel invades Canaan and occupies the land, uh, we see others added in, like Rahab, the prostitute. She's a Canaanite woman. She's a prostitute. And later on, we see Ruth, who is from Moab, invited into God's people. And actually, not only that, but both of these women, these outsider women, are listed in the genealogy, the family line of Jesus in the start of Matthew's gospel. That's just astonishing. 
And there are other examples as you go through the Old Testament of people being invited in from outside to join God's people. To the New Testament, Jesus is born as a Jew. The majority of his ministry on earth is to the Jews, but we see him rewarding the faith of a Canaanite woman and a Roman centurion. He heals a man in a region where pigs are herded, which would indicate strongly that this is a a Gentile, a non-Jew. So what we see when Jesus encounters people from outside of God's people, he includes, he, he invites. But actually what is really striking about Jesus is who he hung around with. Because Jesus hung around with the people you weren't supposed to hang around with. He hung around with people like Levi and Zacchaeus, tax collectors and sinners and people with dodgy reputations, outcasts. People who, even though they were Jews, they're outsiders. These are not people you should associate with. You know, others would try to stop them coming in. You're not coming into the temple, but Jesus invites them into his presence. I think it sets a model for us as well. And of course, it's Jesus who gives the command to make disciples of all nations to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because everyone is invited. So up to that point in the biblical story, What we've seen is God's heart for diversity. Uh, Male and female, different nations, different language. It is all his design and always his intention for his blessing to go to all nations. But we haven't really up to that point seen diversity truly expressed. What we've seen is some individuals being invited in, allowed in to God's people... But to join God's people in the Old Testament, you had to become like God's people. You had to be circumcised. You had to obey Jewish law. You had to imitate their way of life. That's not really diversity. That's conformity. Gentiles, non-Jews can worship God as long as they become like Jews. But then in the book of Acts, there's there's just a massive gear change as The gospel starts spreading and spreading, and not only to Jews in other nations, but also to Gentiles, to non-Jews in other nations as well. In fact, the intentional mission to the Gentiles starts in Acts, as Paul and Barnabas are sent on mission in Acts chapter 13. That's why we're here, because of that time when they were sent out on mission to the Gentiles. And the whole thing just explodes. Many, many, many people being added in from all nations, all different uh, cultures and backgrounds. See, diversity is about many becoming one, even in and through all of their differences. The differences are still there, and the differences can be celebrated, but there is oneness, even in the manyness, even in the differences. And it's an expansion of what we see at creation with male and female. They are one, and they are different, and the difference doesn't take away from the oneness. In fact, it's a crucial part of it. And the oneness doesn't take away from the difference. And in the book of Acts, we start to see a true diversity where both oneness and manyness, difference, both are celebrated. There's one God, there's one faith, there's one gospel, one baptism, but there are different styles. There are different expressions. There are different cultures, different languages. This is one thing that marks Christianity out from I think every other religion in the world. Other religions tend to be based largely, the the influential core tends to be based in one place, one region, one people group, or one language, or one expression, one style. But Christianity has never been like that. 
Christianity has always had diversity at its very core, with the centre of Christianity, the influential centre of Christianity, moving around the world over the centuries. It's not based in one place. And influential people in Christianity, the early church fathers and, and, and theologians and people who have been so influential from all these different places in the world, allowing for different expressions of the same message, Different cultures, different languages are allowed. In fact, it's celebrated. You could walk into a church in a different country and some things will feel very, very different indeed, but it's the same message. In the book of Acts, we see agreements made that actually Gentile believers don't have to become like Jews in order to be in the people of God because now it's a new covenant. It's a new relationship with God. You are only in the people of God through Christ, not through where you're born or the people you're born into, you're in the people of God only through Christ. It's about both oneness and manyness. See, where you have one, but you don't have many, you have oneness without difference, like I said, that's conformity. And actually, it's a bit boring. It's a bit monotonous. And I've used this example before, but as a parent and an ex-primary school teacher, I've sat through many uh, primary school music, in the loosest sense of the word, uh, performances, whether that's brass or recorders or whatever it might be. And the thing you get with primary school performances, because the children are obviously not yet at a, a level where they can do anything particularly complicated, they're all playing the same note, if you're lucky. They're all trying to play the same tune. And of course you're watching your child, you're enjoying that, and it's lovely, you've only got eyes for your child, but it does get a bit boring. Or is it just me? It, it does get a bit boring, doesn't it? And if you're not watching your child, I mean, that's torture. It is sheer torture, and I've sat through many of those as well. So one without the many gets a bit boring. It's monotonous. But then if you conversely have many, but not one, everybody's just doing their own thing. Well, that sounds a bit like one of the music lessons I used to teach when I was a primary school teacher. Um, it wasn't my strong point, and I would avoid it if at all possible, but sometimes I had to do it. And uh, my, my uh, methodology was to say to the children, go and grab an instrument, anyone, and go and compose something. Express yourselves. And um, just utterly horrific. <laughs> the most indescribable and unholy noise. You know, some people talk about glimpsing heaven on earth. This is the other. It's, you know, it's the other place. So one and not many is monotonous. Many and not one, it's just chaos. But when you have both, one and many, working together in harmony, you get a symphony. And it sounds a bit like this.
you know, I'd love to be able to play uh, more of that because it's just beautiful. You know, and towards the end of that piece, the oboe player that you saw there, she gets really moved. Like tears are rolling down her face. She's so moved by this symphony, this piece of music, and the camera zooms in on faces in the audience, and they're just captivated. They're transfixed because of the beauty of this thing. And in the symphony, as you saw there, you have different instruments. You have different sounds and different notes being played at different times, but they're all working together in beautiful harmony around the same overarching piece of music to produce something that is captivatingly beautiful. The church is meant to be like that. The church is meant to be like a symphony with all the different parts, the flavours, the different notes working together in harmony around the beautiful song of the gospel to produce something which captivates the world. But of course a symphony doesn't just happen. It takes a lot of hard work, it takes a lot of practice trying to understand the music, your part in that music how the, you know, the notes, the sounds you're making and playing are contributing to the whole piece. How you interact with somebody else who's making different notes and different sounds because they're playing a different instrument. And you know, I imagine that in practice, that leads to some jarring notes. It will lead to some clashing notes if the wrong note is played or if somebody plays their instrument at the wrong time. But the same is true of diversity in the church. It can lead to challenges, misunderstandings. It can lead to jarring notes. We see it in the early church. You know, we've got all these people in the church now and they're not circumcised. What do we do with that? It's a diversity challenge. Or how are we supposed to eat meals together when they eat pork and we've been brought up to think that's disgusting? How does that work? It's a diversity challenge. And we see a big diversity challenge in Acts chapter 6. So we have the Grecian Jews complaining against the Hebraic Jews. They're all Christians. But the Grecian Jews complaining against the Hebraic Jews about how their widows were being treated in terms of how food is being distributed. There's a cultural and ethnic division going on. But actually the solution is beautiful. The apostles meet the challenge and what they do is they appoint leaders to oversee the distribution of food. But all the leaders they appoint appoint, have Greek names. And so it's the offended party that is given the responsibility to ensure the fair distribution of food to all parties. And we see the result of that reconciliation in the very next verse, because it says, so, because of that, so the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. The jarring note, the clashing note, it was corrected. They learned from it. And the resulting symphony drew people in because of its beauty. You see, diversity does and it will bring challenges. You know, it might be uh, long-standing hostilities between different people groups that that most of us are probably unaware of. But it might just colour your attitude towards another person, subconsciously even. Or racial tensions that exist. Or uh, cultural misunderstandings. You know, I might say something that that comes across in a really offensive way to somebody else. And I'm just totally unaware of it. Not meaning to offend but a cultural misunderstanding can happen. Or it might be to do with style of worship or, or, or how long we meet for. Some of you might love it to be much longer than an hour and a half and some of you might love it to be much shorter than an hour and a half. You know, or for some people they like the music loud and for some people they like it quieter. These are all tensions that can exist and diversity challenges, but we're to work all of this out with grace and with understanding and where necessary with forgiveness. 
And we're to work all of it out in the light and in the power of the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. I'll just remind you of what it says in, in that Colossians 3 passage. Paul says, bear with each other. Sometimes we've got to do that. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We have to remember that we are all saved by grace through faith. Regardless of nationality or background or culture, we were all sinners. Every one of us who have been forgiven by God through the blood of Jesus. So we are all one in Christ. It's the most powerful bond that we could ever have. We're all one in Christ. Again, as Paul said in that passage, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. That is what binds us together. We are one in Christ. All of us are one in Christ. And you know, actually that means a major shift in mindset for many of us in the church about how we think about the church. Because you know, while this church is located in Britain, actually it's not a British church. It's Jesus' church. And so when we talk about diversity, this is not about white people welcoming black people into our white church. No, it's not that at all. It's not about British people with a British culture welcoming non-British people with a non-British culture into our British church. No, we were all outsiders. We were all in the same boat, all outsiders, only invited and allowed in by Jesus to come and sit at his table together. This is not my table. It's, not our, it's his table that we sit at when we come together like this. It's his church. We're all outsiders invited in. We're one in Christ. We're united around his song. So it's about finding kingdom culture among and through all the wonderful, different, diverse cultures that we have here and understanding how all of those cultures play their part and play different notes, bring different flavors in creating this beautiful gospel symphony that tells the world of the beauty and the glory and the power of God. Now, of course, undoubtedly, there are large elements of British culture in the church. So as British people, as a generalisation, British people tend to be a little bit reserved. Conform to that. But if you're not British, you don't have to conform to that in order to be part of the church. If you're from an African culture, and I know that covers a whole load of different cultures, but if you're from an African culture, bring your Africanness. We want to see it. We want to hear it. Bring your Africanness. But see, that's a very British reaction. Clapping your hands. <laughs> Ironic. But if you're from the Caribbean, bring your Caribbeanness. If you're wherever you're from in the world, bring who you are. Bring your culture. Bring bring all the good stuff from your culture. Bring who you are. You know, in, in how we worship together, in how we pray. In how we respond to the word. You know, I don't mind a few amens and hallelujahs when I'm speaking. Thank you. You know, sometimes as a preacher, you make what you think is an absolute killer point and it's greeted with silence. You know, if you're feeling it, let me know. It's okay, let me know. And I'm not, of course, asking you to respond to everything in that way because uh, that would sort of lose its impact if I come up and say hello. My name is John. Amen, hallelujah, yes. Now, I'm not asking you to do that, but you know what I mean. 
bring who you are or in worship. We can be singing an absolute belter of a worship song and, and, and we're all going for it and we're oh, this is wonderful, this is great, we're really going for it. And then the song stops and there's silence. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's a godly silence and we're waiting on God. But I think more often we're waiting for the next song to start so we can start worshipping again. No, carry on worshipping. Keep singing. Keep praising God out loud. That's not going to be everybody. You know, some of us, we are naturally a bit more reserved. And that's fine. I'm not asking anybody to be something that you're not. You know, you are never going to find me leading prophetic dance down here. Okay, because that wouldn't be a blessing for anybody. But it might be your thing. So bring it. Bring who you are. Some of us are more reserved than others, but many of you are not reserved in the slightest. So don't be. Don't be. You have permission to express yourself fully in worship, in prayer, in how we respond. And of course, if there are some clashing notes along the way, if there are some jarring notes, that's okay. I don't mind. We'll learn. And we'll learn together because we're family. Bring who you are in all its richness. Because what we build and how we build together in partnership with Christ is so important. And we know we've got a long way to go. We want to see more diversity in our leadership, in our worship, and in all areas. But how we build together is so, so important. So how do we? How do we do this? How do we grow in this area? How do we grow in grace and in understanding and, where necessary, in forgiveness and in unity? How do we grow in those things? Well, one way, there are lots of ways, but one way they want to focus on is through hospitality. So during the Invited series that I mentioned before, we ran a hospitality challenge. And that's the piece of paper that you've got there on your seats. It gives you a bit of explanation about that hospitality challenge. Because I want to bring that back. We want to go for this again. This is something that you can do very, very practically in response to all the things we're talking about today. To step out of your friendship group. To step out of your people group and invite someone from a different culture or from a different background to come and sit down at your table to sit down together over a meal or over a coffee and just share your stories with one another and not worry about cultural misunderstandings or if the shepherd's pie is burnt or if well, they like shepherd's pie because yeah, all of those kind of things don't worry about it just be yourself and share life together, share stories, build relationships, build friendships, build trust, build understanding, discuss your differences. It's very practical, but let's do it. And you've got to make a decision to do it. You've got to make a decision to do it and then to keep on doing it. But let's take up this challenge and then keep on doing it. How we build together is so important because unity in diversity shows the power of God at work in the church. And actually, between God's people kind of makes the gospel look untrue. It's about unity without uniformity and diversity without division. That's always been God's goal because it displays his glory. So I'm just going to finish with this illustration. Um, Again, I've used this before, but God's people are a bit like the Amazon River. Not because it's filled with piranhas. Um, The source of the Amazon 
is reckoned to be this small river in the mountains of Peru. It's just a little trickle. You know, you would not recognize this as the Amazon River. And it's a bit like when God starts his people with Abraham. This old man and his old wife who have no children, and God is saying all nations on earth are going to be blessed through you. And you think, really? It's just like this, this pitiful little trickle of people. Like looking at this little trickle in Peru and saying all of South America is going to be watered through you. It just seems preposterous. It's ridiculous. But as that river starts to wind through Peru and on into Brazil, actually it starts to grow, it expands, and it starts to shape the landscape. And as we wind our way through the book of Genesis and into Exodus, we see this with the people of Israel. There's just a few at the start. By the end of Genesis, there are 70 of them. And then into Exodus, 400 years later, there's well over a million of them. And people are starting to take notice, and it affects the world around. But it's when the Amazon reaches the Brazilian rainforest that things really start to kick off. And it's a bit like when we get to the ministry of Jesus, and the book of Acts, and the the Holy Spirit is poured out. Because what happens is all these other rivers, and all these other tributaries, they, they start to flow into the Amazon from all different directions. And that's what happens in the gospel, in the book of Acts different nations start to be added into God's people. So there's a massive expansion in the people of God and it becomes more and more noticeable, more and more powerful. Rivers and tributaries continue to join and they still do today as different people groups are reached and they're joined into the torrent of the purposes of God. But these tributaries, they don't just remain in their own channels running alongside the main river. No, they all come into the river They all take on the identity of the people of God while retaining the history of where they came from, what is different about them. We become one in our diversity. We become one in our differences as we join in this river of God. And you know, by the time the Amazon reaches the Atlantic, it's become so big and so powerful that it turns the salty ocean water fresh up to 200 miles out to sea. And I just think that's an astounding picture, an amazing, beautiful picture of the church, of what the church is to be. This is what John sees in his vision in Revelation 7, where he says, There before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. John sees this multitude. He can't count them. They are one, but who are still many. He can still hear different languages. He'll hear languages he's never heard before. He'll see people he's never seen before. John will never have encountered Chinese people. He'll see Chinese people there. It's just glorious. It's beautiful. One people who are still many, and many who have become one in front of the throne of God. This is the church that Jesus is building. This is where we're going. This is the glorious future that we're heading towards. It's the glorious symphony, the big story of God, the beautiful song of the gospel that we are all part of, that we're all caught up in, that your voice is a significant part of. So let us honour God by building together well. Let's take up this challenge. Let's go for it. Build together well. Let's declare his glory to the world. Turn the salty waters fresh by expressing true diversity in the church of Jesus Christ. We are all one in Christ. We were all outsiders who have been invited in, and everyone, everyone is invited. A diverse church of thousands that that magnifies the glory of God in this town. A diverse church of thousands that surrounds and saturates High Wycombe with the love of Jesus. Let's do it. Let's go for it. Amen.
Amen.